you know, covering 1,500 miles or so. And tonight, um, in fact, when we cover the war part, um, there's a good 200-mile chase, I think he does. Um, Genesis, you know, really, it was written for everyone. That, And it announces to all people of the earth that Abraham, that the earth will be blessed through Abraham in uh, chapter 12, verse 3. I mean, there's a whole lot to learn and glean from this book. Its purpose is to reveal how the sin of man is really only met and intervened by God directly. You know, God's redemption. That That's really, I mean, if you look at the whole Bible, that's really what you're going back for. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, sin and redemption, sin and redemption, back and forth. And it really is just an attitude of your heart and where you're at. And in, all, and in you all nations will be blessed. All right, let's um, get into the book. I didn't have a chance to print, sorry, so let's just go ahead and read. Uh, chapter 14, about this time war broke out in the region... I'm using the new uh, little translation because it's kind of a little bit easier to read. And with all these names, I just didn't want to struggle. So bear with me. King Aramaphel of Babylonia, King Ariak of Eleser, King Ketalamer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goyim fought against King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Sinab of Adma, King Shember of Zeboim, the King of Bela, also called Zor, the second group of kings joined forces in the Siddim Valley. That is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For 12 years, they had been subject to King Ketolamer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled against him. One year later, Ketolamer and his allies arrived and defeated the Raphites at Ashtaroth Carnaim, the Zuzites of Ham, the Amites, the Shavites, Carithium, forgive me if I don't get it right, <laughs> the Horites at Mount Seir and as far as El Paran at the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Enmishvat, now called Kadesh, and they conquered the territory of the Am Amalekites and also the Amorites living in Hazan Tamar. Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, Zeulalim, Bela, also called Zor, prepared for the battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Ketelamur, of Elam, King Tidal, Goim, King Emmer from Babylonia, and you get it, four kings against five. Uh, as it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits, and the army of the kings of the Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell into tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. Before we go on, there's an interesting point there. I mean, think about the tar pits, and, and if you're in battle and war, and things, these things catch fire. Evidently, they were pretty big. These things could burn for months and months and months. It'd be pretty, uh, pretty gnarly in terms of war. Verse 11, the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them um, all the spoils of war and food supplies. They also captured Lot. Abraham's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Marmor, Mar Mar the Amorite, Marmor and his relative Eshkel, Aner, 
were Abraham's allies. When Abraham heard that, this that his nephew Lot has been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who he had born into his household. Then he pursued Ketelamar's army until he caught up with him at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Ketelamar's armies fled, but Abraham chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abraham recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. After Abraham returned from his victory over Ketelamar and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bless. Uh, a priest of God most high brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram that got by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may have. Keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord. God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young wars have already eaten and request of you that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, allies, Aner, Eshkel and Mamre. Um, so we find um, in chapter 14, the first mention of international conflict or war. And generally, as most wars are throughout history, it's always over money, money or stuff. And essentially, these kings were um, rising, uh, rising up after um, 12 or 13 years of paying taxes or titles to these other kings, and I, and you know, they, I guess they just pretty much got fed up, <laughs> you know. All right, let me, uh, let me um, get to where I need to be. There we go. <laughs> I hate it when I don't print. It's just awful. Okay, here we go. Where we find um, Abraham here, Abraham is in a um, a good state, a spiritually correct state. After you know the previous chapters, where he was kind of uh, how can you put it, compromising in Egypt, where he almost you know basically got his wife killed and himself killed. And, you know, ended up leaving there and returning to God. In chapter 14, um, with this war going on and Abram being right, God is, has finally Abram in a place where he can be used and used to his glory and nothing else. Uh, 
at the same time that, you know, Abram was uh, receiving God's promise, um, these other kings are obviously fighting for their independence. And one interesting note on chapter 14 that it's actually was disputed for a long time and, and, and rejected by biblical scholars that, and basically used that the Bible was inaccurate up until 1929 when, um, archaeological digs and um, found various civilizations and the code of the law of Hammurabi. And uh, once they found that, they actually confirmed that all these places were accurate and real. And, of course, chapter 14 became legitimate at that, at that po- point. Um, chapter 14 and 15 go together. They are a unit. And are understood by the relationship to another, with each each other, with the background of chapter thirteen, when Lot actually separates from Abram. Abram separated from Lot is a picture of a spiritual life lesson for all of us. We need to separate ourselves from whatever or whomever keeps us from the right relationship with the God of Bethel. Remember. Of course, like I mentioned, that Abraham comes back to Bethel after his time of Egypt and goes back to where he once was right with God, and he makes things right. You know, the word Bethel means house of God. So he's back home. He's back in sanctuary. He's back in his right mind, essentially. He set his life and his priorities right. He goes back to the monument physically, but more importantly, he's there spiritually. He's usable again. He's... He's humbled himself before God, and in the region where he's where he lives and the surrounding neighbors or kingdoms or whatever you want to call them, he's being an example to them. Um, God can bless him and the others around him because he's now right. Um, our encouragement here is that even though you know. Abram is right. I mean, he's flawed. He's not perfect, you know, and that's our encouragement is that God uses flawed men. You know, I, I stand before you right now as a very flawed dude. <laughs> I have, I have, we all have issues, you know, but thank God for his grace and mercy in our lives and for his Holy Spirit that guides us, you know, that allows us to love each other and to have fellowship with each other. And when we are what I call, you know, sane in our right mind, humble before God, we can actually be a benefit to one another and those around us. You know, it's really odd how you can allow yourself to just drift if you're not focused on the spirit each and every day. I mean, the little compromises that you can make and, you know, the, the, the details of life that just want to separate us from that fellowship. And be encouraged that God uses these flawed men and, and wrote it down for us to, to glean from and to give us hope. And, and, and I know for me, because it's been, you know, trying in my life the last few weeks and you know, getting here tonight was a minor miracle. But praise the Lord for that. The house of God, walking daily with God. And, and yet, because of consequences, as a... a Oh, I'm sorry. 
As we sojourn in this life with the hope in heaven in our hearts, we are moving toward spiritual Bethel, heaven, the house of God, walking daily with God. And yet, because of consequences, a servant girl, Hagar, made her way back from Egypt with Abraham and his people. Lot came back with Egypt in his heart. And clearly with Lot, you can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take the world out of his heart. You know, he's just attracted to it. And yet, Abram loves him. And obviously, Hagar coming back, well, that's going to set up another episode in chapters past. And that was all happening because of all the tributes he was receiving when, you know, he was basically you know, putting up his wife and hiding behind his wife, again, compromise and sin. And, and so it, it compounded itself. Um, and then, of course, in the upcoming chapters, Abram tries to help God out, you know, trying to get um, Sarah's uh, uh, worries taken care of, but it just, it just makes things worse. You know, we have to put those old ways away, that old way of thinking. If we're to remain in the spirit and to be functional to God, we just got to just, you know, like we know, put the old man down, kill it. Uh, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Uh, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Just encouragement. You could, I mean, most of you guys know this. Most of you guys read this. And for those of you who don't, and it's not in your heart, then just put it in your heart. If you... It, you know, I, I guess what I really gleaned from this um, is that if you're really going to walk, then just walk. And if you're if you're living like you're going to, you know, if you really believe you're going to go to heaven, you know, well, then live like it. You know, it's 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 <laughs> I guess it just makes sense. Right. Two plus two equals four. You know, we, we have a roadmap before between these two men and it's clear which which one we should follow. You know, and the only way you do it is you put your nose in the book. Sanctify your walk. Leave what you know that are, where you are comfortable, I guess is a good way to put it, and, and just go to God. You know, for me, when uh, going back to the beginning when I accepted Christ, um, I was hanging out with the stoners back then, and it was clear I had to just leave them. These are friends I knew from first grade, second grade, you know, these were the guys that I grew up with. And here I am at a crossroad and God is calling, you know, you just go. If you love God, you just go and you trust and you obey. You know, you don't um, participate with the cultural norms at your workplace now as a Christian. You don't, you don't laugh at the off-color jokes, you, you know. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, or you hang out with people who do, you know, even if they are Christians, because there are Christians out there who drink and smoke and chew, you know, um, I, we're called to a higher calling. We have, we have a, a higher standard. Lot is Abraham's nephew, and it's clear he loves them both, but when was Abram blessed? When did that happen? 
when he separated himself, when Lot was separated from him, it gave Abram the focus that he needed. I, I, I stand before you, you know, and, and know for, for a fact that there are probably Christian people that can hinder your walk, you know. You know, you really have to take your walk seriously and just be focused on it. I, I know I can be a detriment to people as, as a Christian brother, you know. I, and, you know, at our very best, we are merely flesh, but it's still not an excuse that we're not trying to chisel down and break the stone down to get to that place where we are Christ-like. You love them, these Christian friends of yours, but you keep your relationship with the Most High right. Why? So God can bless you and those around you and use you. It's for his glory, nothing else. You know, the things, you know, I, I like I said, I know I can be a hindrance to some, my mouth, you know, <laughs> my mouth. You just start yapping and things come out and you just go, no, I really didn't want that to come out. But yet it does. And I go to God and ask for forgiveness. And I make things right with that brother or sister or my kids or whoever it is. Because we, we, we need to have, what's that old hymn, daily walking with thee? We have to have that in our hearts. The kings are in battle with Abram. And, well, the, 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 the whole point of, of this, when we get to verse 11 there, and after, you know, the series of battles between the four kings and five kings, really the whole point of the story is that God is showing us that Abram, who wasn't directly involved in the battle, gets pulled in because his nephew Lot is basically captured, kidnapped, and all his possessions and his people by the uh, rebelling kings. Abram goes into battle with 300 or so servants, and defeats them and rescues Lot. He rescues Lot. You know, there's there's a whole there a whole bunch that we're going to touch on, but I just I you know I was fixated on the word rescue because I love that word because essentially in your life, if you're a Christian here tonight, God pulled you from the fire. He rescued you from eternal damnation. He rescued you from a life that is empty to a life that is full. And I'm not talking about being rich or having cars and that. No, it's about having a spiritual mindset and a heart that is tender and pliable and loving and useful to others. To rescue, deliver, redeem, ransom, reclaim, to save uh, men, to set free from uh, confinement or danger. Rescue implies freeing from imminent danger or prompt vigorous action. Rescued the crew of a sinking ship. And that's what you were before before you knew the Lord. You were sinking and didn't even know it. It may further imply a preserving or maintaining for usefulness or continued existence, an operation that saved my life. I love that. I love that. You were made whole. You were healed. And now you can go on and be used. If you are saved tonight, let us all rejoice because you've been plucked from the fire, like just like I have. 
So in the course of the attack, these kings, you know, take the stuff. They take the goods from Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went away. The, the beautiful picture here is that Abram was ready. You know, and that's a picture for how we're to be in our lives. You know, to to be prepared for battle. Now, I, I I don't picture Abram as a man of war. Actually, quite quite contrary. I think he's a man of peace. He's a businessman. He he's probably got all these herds and people around him who are farmers and stuff. And yet, you know, the scripture is clear. It says that they were trained for war. They were trained for battle. And Again, this, the spiritual application is that that's how we're to be as Christians. You know, we all have our functions here within the body and our functions at home. But we are to continually read the word and be upright. So when we're out in the world and talking to others who don't know Christ, you can put up the battle for Christ. You can, you can preach the word. Uh, they were they were armed. I, I picture a ragtag group of farmers, basically, who probably you know did their due diligence in practicing for war. Didn't say they were battle tested, right? Just says that they were ready for war. You know, and most of us here, you know, aren't you know aren't going to see a demon face to face in our lifetime. But we're all charged with a cause to be ready to defend our faith, you know, for whenever that happens. You know, and those guys who go out Friday night street witnessing, they're going out to the front lines. You know, they're being attacked by the enemy. You know, they're ready. They're out there. Abraham is a man of peace, living peaceably in the land he's in. He's able to live among these other kingdoms without issue. He's... Uh, He's a man of honor by honoring his brother who passed on before him by taking care of his uh, nephew and watching over his nephew Lot. It's, it's absolutely clear that Abraham had a love for Lot because he, he keeps helping the homeboy out, you know. Yet Abraham being peaceable and honorable is not a pacifist, you know, because clearly he wasn't. He was... He was ready to go into battle, and he did. He goes to war. You know, <laughs> he, he doesn't drive a Subaru station wagon with a coexist bumper sticker on it. You know, it's, that's just not what it's like, you know. A Prius, there you go. <laughs> uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote this about pacifism. The Bible is clear. I am to love my neighbor as myself in the manner needed in a practical way in the midst of a fallen world at my particular point in history. This is why I'm not a pacifist. Pacifism in this fallen world in which we live, this lost world, means that we desert the people who need our greatest help. Lot was in trouble. Abraham had an honor and a duty to his brother and a love for his nephew. He was ready to go to war. He was prepared, and he did go in. What I find interesting is, you know, they spend like 15, 16 verses 
you know, explaining the war, what's going on, how these kings are kind of hiding, you know, years go by, you know, and they're, they're going back and forth. And once Abraham decides to get in, it takes a couple of verses and it's over. He chases them down, literally chases those kings like about 150 miles, 200 miles north, gets everything and brings his nephew and all the stuff back. And like I said, you know, he was a man of great means. Clearly, if he has 318 people born into servitude in his, in, in his clan there, he, yet, I, I just, again, I just don't picture him being like this, this raging army. But yet, his heart was right. And his heart being right, that means he, he, he passed that on to his people. It's a great example of how we are to be with our, our children and our, our extended family and those whoever we come in contact with. If we're right, we're supposed to spread that rightness. We're supposed to actually infect them with the disease, <laughs> the disease of Christianity, of loving other people. You know, I mean, we all far short. None of us are, are, are perfect, you know. Um, but again, if we claim to be Christian, if we claim to love others, then we, we should just do it. You know, it's not it's not very hard. And and by Abram being ready for battle, again, it was a godly example to his neighbors. So much so that he had allies that came alongside with him. You know, these these guys had no personal stake with Lot. But yet they decided to join in with Abram. Say, yeah, dude, we'll go. We'll help you out. We'll, we'll make it happen. And they did. He was ready for battle. His people were ready for battle. They were ready for anything under his leadership. Cross-trained in multiple scales and clearly the art of war. We need to be like this, ready for battle in the midst of everyday life. Abram was ready because his spiritual house was in order. I think of that song, how, you know, it's just you and me here now, only you and me here now, and I will bow down and worship you, O Lord. Abram was able to rescue lot in spite of his flaws just be like our heavenly father loves us in spite of our flaws and if we keep our relationship with christ in that focus where it really is one-on-one -on -one with him on a daily basis it really does clear your perspective you know because if you were a christian tonight and you accepted christ you had that moment where it was just you and God, not your friend who brought you there, not your, your wife, your sister, your whoever. It was just you and God. And in the end, when we go, you're going to stand before the Lord, just you and God. So am I. And it's just a good perspective. Abram was ready. Those he was in charge of were ready. Am I ready? Are you? You know? Second Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Abram leads his army to victory over the five kings by dividing his forces by night, and his servants attack them and, pers- and pursue them all the way to Hobar, which is north of Damascus, like I, I said this already. You know, so it was clear that they had skills, you know. They may have not been out in war every day, but they had skills. So, again, it's an encouragement for us to sharpen our skills. And, and really, as Christians, what do we sharpen? We sharpen our, our knowledge of the Word of God, our, our love for each other in serving one another. He brought back his brother's son, Lot, and his goods. And fortunately, Lot will move right back where he was in Sodom. Even though he gets rescued and pulled out of the fire, Lot heads back down the hill. You know, he refuses the warning from God and will eventually lose everything when judgment comes to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, in Scripture says he, he goes back to Sodom, this time to live within the city walls. You know, before he was just pitching his tent near there. Next time we find him, he's going to be inside the wall running the 7-Eleven, you know. You know. <laughs> the, the pool of the world is strong. And let's not kid ourselves here as Christian men. The world is strong. And, and in the modern world that we have with technology and billboards and radio and television and Internet and everything to bombard you and distract you from the God of peace, the God of love. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's just as hard, if not harder, because it's just everywhere. You can't walk down the street without seeing, you know, just the junk that's out there that just, you know, can't turn on the radio without, without hearing something. So when, when they get back, um, we, uh, we meet the, uh, the character Melchizedek, and this is uh, very interesting because um, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bed and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abraham, God of the Most High, possessor of her nerve, and blessed be God the Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave you a tithe of all. Suddenly, Melchizedek appears, comes out of nowhere. Up until this point, nothing. And after this point, it's going to be another thousand years before he gets mentioned again in Psalm 110, where he's briefly mentioned, and then another thousand years in Hebrews chapter 7, where he gets mentioned again. And yet he's important enough for, for God to want us to know about him. We don't know much. We, we have a good idea, but... Um, you know, nobody knows for sure. You know, he comes out of, we, we, we don't know how, how he appeared and how he became to even be a priest or a worshiper of the true God. I mean, I mean, think about that insight. I mean, from what, all we know is just Abraham and his clan who were right with God. But clearly this Melchizedek guy, he was all right too, you know? You know, and, and that's a good picture for us because sometimes we get tunnel vision with our own Christianity and, you know, there's an old joke that says, you know, when uh, Gabriel or Peter, pick whatever angel you want, walking the guy around heaven and they pass by this room where there's a big loud room of people worshiping and yada, yada, yada. And the guy says, oh, wow, that's a that's a nice room in there. What are they doing? Oh, he goes, oh, shh, 
Those are those Calvary Chapel people. They're the only ones who think they're here, you know. <laughs> we have brothers and sisters in the Lord. Not everybody goes to a Calvary, you know. We, 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 if we love Christ and, and, and they preach Christ died and risen, you know, and their walk is evidence of bearing fruit, then He's probably your brother or your sister. Um, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He is the king of Salem. Salem is the original Jerusalem. It has uh, and, and peace. Um, he is the priest of God most high. He is a worshiper and priest of the true God. Um what makes him unique, he is both um, king and priest. And history shows that it's dangerous to combine the religious and civic authority. God actually forbade the king of Israel to be priest and to be king in Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen and through 23. And um, I think it was Uzziah. Yeah, Uzziah tried to do the work of the priest and God struck him with leprosy. But here, this is obviously an, a, a, an exception. Um, king of righteousness, king of uh, king of peace. Psalm seventy-six, uh, verse two says, "In Judah, God is known; His name is great in Israel. In Salem, also His tabernacle and His dwelling place in Zion." He brought bread and wine. These are elements of communion, um, maybe prophetic of Christ, you know, and the ultimate blessing for families on the earth, you know. Uh, he is the first priest named in Scripture, a mediator between God and man, which means God has made himself known to others either prior to or about the same time as Abram. It's just interesting to me, you know, that... We didn't need to know about it till this point, you know. This is the story that we need to be focused on. Heaven is going to be a big place, you know. Um, you know, I I remember as uh, going to a concert at Calvary Chapel Downey once, and you know, I was getting used to Christian worship and learning what it's all about and stuff. And there was a um, worship team there believe it or not from Altadena at the time and you know they were brothers and sisters and they were they're they're sitting in Downey and I remember the the, the one uh, uh, big sister comes out there and she goes well let me show you how we do it on this side on our side of the tracks I'll never forget that and they came out and they did 35 minutes of the best gospel worship I had ever heard in my life and here I am sitting in Jeff Johnson's Calvary Chapel Downey you know <laughs> Again, it's a big place. There are believers everywhere. <sighs> they believe on the other side of the tracks too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may be prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Um, Melchizedek, he was in the service of the most exalted and powerful God, the Almighty, the Elohim. The title of God worshipped by the patriarchs. 
And like I mentioned before, he's not mentioned again for another thousand years to Psalm 110. You know, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then a thousand years later is in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, from all the reading I did and looking at the commentaries and scholars, some people believe that, you know, this could be a theophany, a pre-incarnation of God, you know, in the Old Testament, or a Christophany, actually Christ, you know, showing up. But, um, you know, you can't really say for sure because in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, it re all that's really stated there is that he's a type of Christ. It didn't say he was him. So you can't really pin that on them. All that we need to know is that um, as a type of Christ and that we, we um, can live our lives as a type of Christ as well. You know, not saying that we're going to be kings and priests. You know, some of us probably will be a king and priest in heaven. Who knows? Personally, I vote for the king side. But hey, you know. <laughs> but um, it's it's just it's too vague. Nobody knows for sure. But um, that's what we do know, that he is a type of Christ. Um, and when he blesses uh Abram, the, what, what's really noted there in the verses is that he reminds Abram who gave him the victory. He said it was the Lord that, you know, defeated the enemy and brought him into your hands. Again, pointing to God as our, our guide, God as our, our redeemer, God as our savior, that, that Abram didn't do it in his own strength. It only happened because his relationship was right. And because it was right, God could bless him and God went out before him and took care of business. Um, oh, before we leave this, let's also mention that the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews to proclaim that Christ, to proclaim Christ from the order of Melchizedek is to put him in a higher order than the, Levit the Levitical priesthood. You know, that Christ is better than the old law. Christ is better. You know, like the new and improved version of Tide detergent, you know, that makes your whites even whiter. You're so white so you can look through them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but more than that, I was obviously joking. <laughs> All of this was set up, executed, and revealed by God for the purpose of convincing the Jews that their old Levitical priesthood was now history. The broader point is their old law was now abrogated, rescinded, repealed, or officially ended and removed. That's what abrogated mean. It was a, God was making the point clear that, no, Jesus, this is the way to go. The, little, the, the Levitical priesthood and the old law were bound together. One was part of the other. So it follows for the priesthood being changed of the necessity, there is also a change of the law. Christ is better than the law. What does it mean to New Testament believers? It means that we are no longer under the law. And it means that we have a high priest with direct access to God. That's it, period. That's a fact. For such a high priest was fitting to us who is homely, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins. 
and then for the people's sins. Jesus had no sin as a priest. The, the, the Levitical priesthood, they had to offer up sin uh, in a sin offering for themselves and then for the people. That's the function of a priest. He's the intercessor for God. Well, that's God. The, remember, you know, the curtain's torn? Jesus, you know. He did this once and for all when he offered himself up. For the law points as high priests men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Hebrews seven twenty six through 28. And in verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is all able to save the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. I just love that. He's always praying for us. He's always, he's always our advocate. God saves and intercedes. He rescues. That's his business. He's in the business of reconciling lives, reconciling men, redeeming lost souls, and restoring lives. He will wipe away the tears and return the wasted years. I love that part of that song when we worship. I mean, that just ministers to my heart when we sing that. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day. He washed my sins away. God is good. So after, after Melchizedek uh, gives his blessing and um, we meet this guy, uh, I... Th- uh, let me get down here. King of Sodom comes up and he gives his blessing. And in contrast to Melchizedek, Sodom's blessing in verse 21 is superficial. It's self-absorbed. Um, Sodom, uh, the king of Sodom was all he was concerned with though was um, getting back the people who uh, he lost in, in the battle. You know, he's he's ungrateful and and he's, you know, basically demanding this. You know, the king of Sodom needed those people to serve him. You know, they were his security to ensure the perpetuation of his kingdom. But really, the spoils of war and everything were rightfully Abram's. He went out there. He, he, did, the, he did the dirty work. And, of course, you know, Sodom says to him, well, you know, take, take all the stuff. You know, it's okay. You know, and just give me the people and... But the truth of the matter is he didn't give anything to Abram, you know. Uh, God won the battle. And and literally, Abram, if he wanted to, could have claimed everything. But he doesn't. Again, revealing his right relationship. You know, not wanting to share the glory with God. But the glory of this victory was because of his right relationship, God gets the glory. You know, what Sodom was doing here was just this passive-aggressive way of trying to make Abram feel indebted to him, I guess, you know. And it was just exposing his own, you know, greed and evil purposes. But in, you know, verse 22, Abram rebukes the king before all present, declaring his dependence on God and not man for the deliverance. Abram said, to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the covenant of God Yahweh, the creator of Elohim, the most high Elohim. The raising of his hand was symbolic of an oath and a dependency of strength and courage and victory. Again, just driving the point home that that God was in control. He, Abram declares his complete confidence in the power of God, the creator the possessor of heaven and earth, he possessed all that he promised and all the land to Abram. You know, 
God can bless you when you're right. You know, if you're struggling right now and you don't think God is hearing you and, and you know, you need to do that self-examination. All of us do. You know, and you need to make sure that your heart is aligned, your mind is aligned, your fellowship is aligned. Abraham wouldn't take anything from Sodom. He does that because he and he and he clearly says it just so that that Sodom couldn't say that I gave you all this stuff or that that Sodom made Abram rich. He wouldn't allow the world or people of the world to contaminate or partake in the glory of God's work. And of course, you know, in verse 24, he says, you know, you can give stuff to the what basically what people have eaten and, you know, to his um, who was allies who came up to him, but he wouldn't take anything. He was uh, he was a man of honor again keeping his word but not imposing what you know what they may have wanted you know his choice on his three friends the 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 study in a nutshell is essentially that that God can bless and God can move if your heart is right if your relationship is right all of us need to keep that the forefront of our minds every day let's pray heavenly father we come to you in jesus name we thank you lord for this day we ask father that you just go before us and our families and grant us traveling mercies home we just thank you for this place this sanctuary that we have that we can come and fellowship with you we love you lord and we thank you and we ask this in jesus name amen, amen.